the Tom Sumner Program. Old Fashioned Radio for a New Generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Have an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky team, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. A social distancing tip. While the CDC urges you to avoid close contact, like hugging or shaking hands, there are other non-physical ways to say hello. Wave, wink, use sign language, salute, smile, give the peace sign, throw up an air high five, do jazz hands. Remember, stay a minimum of six feet or two arms length away from others and stay home if you can. For more info, visit coronavirus.gov. Let's all do our part because we're all hashtag alone together. Brought to you by the Ad Council. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody, to the second half of Armchair Politics, our weekly roundtable on the Tom Sumner program, featuring our roundtable regulars, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. Thanks again, Paul. Always good to be here. And on the right, longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter. Thanks to you as well. A great show, Tom. Well, thank you, sir. And uh, joining us this week for the roundtable, political operative Bobby Clayton Walton. It's always a pleasure when you're here, Bobby. I always like being with you guys. Well, I uh, I set it up before the uh, before the split at the uh, end of the last hour about the um, uh, sheriff from Barry County who appeared at uh, at one of these protest rallies and 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 later made comments that this was. Uh, uh, this this proposed insurgency or plot uh, against the governor was um, actually a citizen's arrest and and was technically legal in some way and people are calling for the resignation and the question I asked just before we uh, went to the top of the hour break there is should the county board in Barry County join others who have called for the sheriff's resignation well, you know, I think when you consider consider his targets, it wasn't just the governor. I mean, he was they were going to take out after and kill police officers and maybe other officials as well. I don't see where you find a citizen's arrest and anything like that, from my from my understanding. Um, it's say, I mean, if, you know, if you when you folks seriously, they they were really going to do some very serious terrorist acts given the chance. When you say that, Paul, I, I I'm I'm not sure if. The group that was planning to kidnap Governor Whitmer was also plotting those other things. I, I almost got the impression that there were two or three plans going almost concurrently that ended up being part of the same investigation, but all of the plans get attributed to to this that could be yeah. one group. I, I'm just I'm just not I'm not sure about that. So when yeah, this guy I've heard says the stories about police officers being targets and other officials 
including the lieutenant governor, was mentioned in one of the news stories I saw, as, as well as, of course, governors of other states have been now mentioned in recent days. Yeah, yeah I, I, think, I, I think there were multiple uh, yeah. plans or, or objectives by um, somewhat related groups. And, and yeah. I think that relationship is as thin as being part of the same Facebook chat room. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm after you, really, Bobby. Yeah, it's sort of a coordinated effort um, because if you follow a lot of what's going on uh, on some of the social media, there's this feeling on both, both left and right um, that on the left they say just burn it down and start over, and on the right say we're going to take it over and establish a new government. Um, to my way of thinking, they're holding hands. They're, both, they're all anarchists. But there is that. I think, going back to your original question on whether the commission should call for his resignation, as a procedural person, my first response is, what authority does the, um, does the county commission have to request a resignation? Because he's an elected official. Well, that's and why... My, well, they could probably request my, one, but, but they, could they force him out? No. I, I, yeah, I think you're right, Bobby. You're probably right. They couldn't force him out. They can request it, I suppose, but... Yeah. yeah, and I'm on. I like to follow what uh, Bobby has mentioned here. Uh, <clears throat> we simply do not know enough about these plots. We're zigzagging through, kind of find a resolution, or come up with some kind of a stable position in the community, and that's not enough. We need a study, a grand jury to study to find out who are the people, what are their intentions. Uh, what, what are the plans and stuff like that? We know nothing about them. You're asking me to to make statements on something that I have absolutely no background. Well, in. law law enforcement isn't gonna isn't gonna tip all of what they know. They've just simply released information to the press yeah. that justifies the charges they're bringing. Um, yeah. They well, don't tell us not anymore. Enough, not, not One question I have is, what, what is the range of a citizen's arrest? My understanding is the, the, the ability for somebody to, 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 to do a citizen's arrest is extremely limited. I believe you've got to see the crime, it's got to see a felony in action, and, and only under those conditions can a citizen make what's called a citizen's arrest. I mean, if, if if you accept their argument, does that mean anybody who is offended by a governor's action at any time can go ahead and try and arrest the governor? Right. That could happen. To... Right. Because the, the question that was raised was that she was acting beyond her constitutional authority, and that, you know, would allow them to do a citizen's arrest. The yeah, but... Concerns me. Yeah. These guys okay. get, get all fired up and, and liquored up and start showing each yeah. other their guns and... Yeah, they do. They pull them out. But, but the thing that concerns me is the sheriff. You know, there are many sheriffs in the state of Michigan, and I'm sure other states too, who have become part of a movement that says that if we don't like what the state law requires us to do, we're just not going to obey it. Uh, that's true, yeah. You know, we're yeah. not going to enforce it. We're not going to carry it through. That was an issue here when they were considering these red flag laws remember there was a resolution proposed that's, that's right the, the whole yeah. second amendment uh, business you know that that yeah. that uh the office of county sheriff and i think i have this right i'm not entirely sure if it's state constitution or federal constitution but they are the only elected officials uh 
in the in the state I believe that are federally required that there be hmm. a county sheriff maybe and hmm. the um, and the thing that makes it interesting is if it is part of the the Constitution of the United States that every county you know shall have a county sheriff someone you know in charge of making sure that laws are being uh, obeyed and so on it doesn't speak to county boards or city councils or anything else that one office is constitutionally mandated and i think that's probably state because the state creates the counties yeah yes local government is pretty much a state function then i think it's it's built into the state constitution then but 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 somewhere i remember learning that they that the sheriff is the only constitutionally required officer yeah i believe you're right because that this whole um process came from england if i remember yeah i, th- I think that's where practice I think you're right, that was Henry. used in england many yeah. many times and that we borrowed and transformed it and now it's taken a life of its own well, I guess right. we should start calling Chris Swanson the sheriff of Genesee then. <laughs> Probably, yeah. Well, he is. And I think Sherwood Forest. Yeah. I think the whole idea of the sheriff goes back to uh the primary purpose of government, which is to keep us safe. Um yes. so they were oh, hey, you know, while, while we're talking, I pulled out my copy of the of the Michigan Constitution. Here is uh section Four, number four, I believe. No. Article seven, seven, number section four. There shall be elected every four years, terms in each organized county, a sheriff, a county clerk, a county treasurer, a register of deeds, and a prosecuting attorney, whose duties and powers shall be provided by law. Yeah. The board of supervisors may, in any county, combine the office of county clerk and register of deeds in one office or separate, or separate, uh, as at their pleasure. So yeah, so but but actually, the, the the Michigan Constitution prescribes a a number of county offices here in this one section on the, uh, the describing counties. Yeah. <laughs> See, all of this makes sense. What you just said, Paul, <coughs> in you guys just said, but we don't know, still know enough about the situation of the citizen arrest here. And yeah, you know, say, we I mean, could be just zigzagging and confusing the issue more without hearing from a, an authority that's commissioned to find out what the truth is. I mean, well, if, if you take, if you take a citizen's arrest literally, it opens the door to all kind of chaos. I mean, any any citizen who's upset by any government official can go out and try and arrest him. Uh, the potential for chaos there is astonishing. Eric May does it have to buy a paddy wagon? <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> well, I think I think this is an issue that will probably be used as a defense in court, perhaps, and that's where things are usually uh, clarified. Which is why it's important that we pay attention to who sits in our courts, um, because that's the ultimate authority, whether it's through a trial or through an interpretation of the law. I think the whole idea of a citizen's arrest is, is sort of a, a, a boondoggle for any sheriff to come forth and make a judgment on something that is being charged criminally, that's almost as bad as the president coming forward and making a decision when somebody's been charged with a crime. That's yeah. wrong. 
Well, I'm not sure. Well, maybe we've got time to squeeze this in before we get to break. Um, Before allegedly being involved in an elaborate plot to kidnap Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer, a Delaware man received a pardon in his home state for prior crimes. FBI agents arrested 44-year-old Barry Croft um, last week in Swedesboro, New Jersey. Croft is one of six men federally charged in the scheme against Whitmer. In April 2019, one week after Delaware revenue officials filed a state tax lien against Croft for more than $36,000, Democratic Governor John Carney granted him a pardon for a 1997 conviction and several more convictions from 94 to 96. Uh, The crimes included assault, burglary, theft, and receiving stolen property, according to the uh, Associated Press. I have more on this story, but uh, in the the, uh, uh, service of time, I'll just jump right to the question. Were you surprised that the uh, the Michigan plot involved a person or persons from other parts of the country? No. I wasn't that sounds, that, yeah. like a, that yeah. sounds like a plot. It's a network. Yeah. Network. Yeah, it's a network. And I would be interested in knowing whether the Southern Poverty Law Center has identified any of these groups or a, a general group as... Um, threatening or terrorist organization. I believe they did. I, I think I heard that in one of the stories, and I saw, saw it in one of their magazines one time. I believe they did. And, yeah. and, and, and for the fact that it's a network raises some serious worries about what could happen after the election. That's maybe a bigger question. You know, yeah. Are these groups still that's out there? That's my concern. Are, aren't well. happy with how the election comes out? Well, I suspect, that's how, that's, I, I suspect that's how law enforcement got on to them to begin with, is that the FBI had been tracking that... Uh, network activity. Yeah. Yeah, because they're federal authority. Well, I just really think that, that that there is going to be trouble because it's being stirred up by people who benefit from the chaos. But if you look back at what happened uh, several years ago when uh, that whole group of people were shot at that uh, AME church, the young man who was arrested for that said that he was trying to start a race war. And mm-hmm. I think that is the underlying um, motivation, or at least that's part of the thread that's tying this all together. Yeah, and Bobby, I I have believed that from the beginning, and I think and I still think that many Black Americans may be killed. Uh, yes. So that um, knowing the threats out there against uh, Americans, like for example, uh, when they will no longer be the arithmetic and political majority of this country. People are afraid. They've never been second bad. They've, and there are some people acting good conscience in this way to be afraid uh, because uh, you don't know what's on the other side of the bubble. So Well, you don't, and it, uh, is, it is scary. And I have reason to be afraid. I'll tell you why. I got my DNA back from 23andMe this week, and I found out that I have two tenths of 1% of Nigerian blood. Ooh, good for you. <laughs> <laughs> two-tenths of 1%, though. Two-tenths yeah. of 1%. I said, that's a, and then one-tenth one of 1% Native American. I said, that puts a little spice and color in that blind mixture. We've got to take a break on that. No, we'll be right back. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the Briggs. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write us at TomSumnerProgram.com. Call us at at 810-339-8255 or contact us on Facebook or Twitter. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner program where to go. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. What do you do, ladies and gentlemen? This is Bob Hope back once again to tell you it's better to have Pepsi flowing over your teeth now than to have water running under your bridge later. Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll get through it. The time sum- 
Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue now with Armchair Politics, our weekly roundtable on the Tom Sumner Program, featuring our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined this week by Bobby Clayton Walton. Welcome back, everybody. Hey. Good to be here. Hey, thank you. I want to do one more uh, one more piece on the state before we move on to some national uh, headlines and current events. Two alleged right-wing provocateurs accused of orchestrating a racist and inaccurate robocall campaign to dissuade people from voting surrendered to Michigan authorities Thursday morning, according to the Michigan Attorney General. Um, a uh, 22-year-old Los Angeles resident and a uh, 54-year-old resident of Arlington, Virginia, were arraigned <laughs> Thursday in Detroit. They uh, pleaded not guilty on several felony charges related to allegations of voter intimidation and other election law violations. Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel, a Democrat, says the pair are responsible for calls that went out to at least 85,000 people, including many in Metro Detroit. The calls inaccurately stated law enforcement and debt collectors would use information provided by voters looking to cast an absentee ballot. The calls also said federal health officials would use the same personal information to track down people and forcibly administer vaccines. Um, is this kind of election interference more common than the interference with ballots and tabulation from enemies foreign and domestic that many people have been led to believe? Yeah, I think it is. Yeah, I believe that, too. This year we're hearing more of this kind of stuff going on. And again, yeah. the, the key the, the key worry I have is that all of this stuff is going to undermine whatever happens in the election is going to undermine trust in it. People will, will blame it on some stunt that somebody pulled off one way or the other. Yep, yep. And I think misinformation and misdirection has always been used that way. Years ago, there was an issue in uh, Maryland of them calling a bunch of people. I think it was in the Baltimore area to tell them that the date of the election was was printed wrong or something like that, and they gave them the wrong date. And, I recall uh, here. I, I, yeah. Yeah, I think I've heard of that. They the, told them the, what, uh, Wednesday morning or something like that, didn't they? <laughs> right, was, wasn't right. They a, gave them the yeah. wrong date. And, you yeah, know, the, it's the like day, somebody... The day after. Yeah, somebody's joking. They said, <clears throat> one party can vote on Tuesday, and then the next party has to vote on Wednesday. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, yeah. This, to me... Um, appears to be part of a conspiracy. Uh, here you got people from Virginia and California coming to Michigan. And uh, for whatever reason, making these kind of uh, judgments. And well, that's the, thing about, uh, that's the thing about technology now, Henry. Uh, they could have been sitting in Los Angeles and Arlington, Virginia, and directing uh, some kind of a, a national phone bank that just happened to call a lot of people in Detroit. Um, well, I get that all the time. I, I get calls from all over the country uh, for asking me to vote a certain way or to give money or whatever. So I'm yeah. familiar with that, but this is particular in the scope. It says to African Americans or people of color to uh, do these kind of things, and that that doesn't that sounds like that can't be done by a single person or just a couple people, but it has to be authorized by something bigger. 
It's part of the Dirty <laughs> Tricks program. <clears throat> it's sort of like yeah. the Watergate, only they, they don't have to use scotch tape on the door. Sure. It's, it's not hard to generate a robocall and just start punching in numbers all over the country. Yeah. And it's yeah. not it's not but under robocalls are cheap. But under whose authority, guys? Right. Well I think there's, there's a dirty tricks spot. There's a dirty tricks component that that is put in action and I don't know who funds them but they're funded. And sometimes and sometimes with the knowledge and oversight of the campaign itself, as we found out during the the uh, Watergate investigations of uh, Richard Nixon, but then yeah. sometimes it's it's just um, you know supporters that that just go off the deep end or or agitators that go off the deep end. Yeah, I yeah. think they may be agitators. Well, look what just happened here in Davidson. I was just reading a local uh, commentary about one of the candidates for county board of commissioners that was um, identified by the authorities is making uh, harassing and intimidating and threatening phone calls I to, saw that story. Yeah, to an, a, a candidate up in one of the other counties uh, who was an opponent of a friend of his. <laughs> you know, I don't think anybody in the party authorized that. I would be, no, I would be surprised. Likely. I would be surprised. The party is, is too divided for that. Yeah, I, I just the think party. that's petty. Well, yeah. let's let's see but if things are a little better in Washington. Um, <laughs> the Senate's yeah. top Democrat on Sunday called on Amy Coney Barrett to commit to recusing herself from a fast-approaching case on the fate of the Affordable Care Act, should she be confirmed to the Supreme Court one day before she will face the Chamber's Judiciary Panel for hearings. So this happened on Sunday. Um, President Donald Trump's self-imposed litmus test. Uh, and Judge Barrett's own past statements criticizing the law and the court's decisions raise serious questions as to whether she can rule fairly at all, Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer said during a news conference Sunday referring to a highly consequential Obamacare case the court is set to hear um, literally a week after the uh, November 3rd election. For that reason, Judge Barrett should uh, pledge to recuse herself from the case involving ACA a week after the election if she is confirmed. Wouldn't it make more sense to ask her to recuse herself from a potential challenge to this year's election results? Well, the fact that, well, that I think the issue was raised in the, in the hearings yesterday, I believe. Well, I, it was. I think I wrote uh, yeah. this Sunday, and, you know, Paul always sends me over a, a list of uh, possible uh, ideas to talk about, and it always says at the end, and whatever happens in the next 24 <laughs> hours. So this, this, kind of falls, this kind of falls under that disclaimer. But, but it, yeah. it, it is interesting. If she's confirmed, she's going immediately to the Supreme Court, and a week later... They are, after the election, ACA, they're going to hear that case. They won't be deciding it a week later. They'll be hearing it. Um, and I don't know how long it'll take them to render a decision on that, on that case. Um, the, the court will be decidedly more conservative. But, you know, John Roberts surprised a lot of people, and I think Amy Barrett's going to surprise some people, too. I think she will, too. And I, I like... I like Amy. <clears throat> there are a lot of things about her personal constitution that I like. 
She's extremely intelligent. She's personable. She, uh, if you look at her family, she's a great family person. She's adopted people that don't look like her. And for a great family, a representative family that looks like the American Constitution ought to look, the population does. And I think that she, from her uh, display a couple of days ago, when she had a blank piece of paper before her, and one of the senators said, uh, you're probably following what someone's asked you to follow. And she held the paper up, and it was blank. And uh, they could not shake her great um, constitutional authority that she had learned in college, that she's practiced. And nobody so she would be a good person nobody, for that. Yeah, nobody's accused her of being dumb, Henry. I think the issue for me is her judicial philosophy. And I yeah. believe yesterday uh, Kamala Harris was successful in pointing out the connection between her being listed by Donald Trump as one of his potential Supreme Court nominees before he was elected, or shortly after, it was, it was before he was inaugurated, and then she wrote a very critical um, essay or an opinion article or whatever it was, law review, about her criticism of uh, John Roberts' vote in the Supreme Court, the ACA case that had yeah. been heard. Yeah. And, so and she can do of, that. She can do I know that. she can do that, but there this was is question not, raised. This is where we, where there was we question are raised constantly about, evolving. There was, question okay, raised, there was question raised about her presenting herself to Donald Trump, who said that he wants a Supreme Court nominee who will overturn the ACA, who will throw out Roe v. Wade, who will do uh, his bidding on the various mm. business interests that he has and the electoral business. So the... the the idea of her pursuing that was laid on the table. But we all know that the ACA in its entirety will never be overturned. Republicans love things about the ACA for special conditions. They've already voiced that. And certainly the majority of the people uh, like ACA, but there are other things that are committed there that the Republicans want to change. But some elements of it will never go away. I don't, think the issue don't want it to go. I don't think the issue is the ACA. The issue is for a president to say this is his litmus test and for somebody to try to meet that litmus test in order to get the appointment. Yeah, and again, yeah. within a week of being week week or two of being sworn in to to serve on on a panel that's going to maybe decide the election, decide the ACA, among other things that are on the on the table this upcoming upcoming Supreme Court year. Uh, right, and as I said, the judicial philosophy, I, as I see it, the Supreme Court has been moving too far in the direction of supporting corporate interests and downplaying individual interests, and you can see that in. Um, decisions made about environmental policy and about all of the other things that impact on business, as everything does. And as it's tipping too far in one direction, we are in danger of turning our country into one that is run by corporations with less and less uh, power for individuals. And you and I, Henry, have talked in the past about the need for balance. We are, we are rapidly getting out of balance, and her nomination throws that balance way off. Well, and, and I really don't think <clears throat> that uh, uh, Roe B. Wade, that 
I think that I read 67% of the American people are uh, getting in favor of Roe v. Wade. And I'm sure that the courts are going to do right about what the American people want in this case. I can't judge it for you. I can only well, surmise if it. You, well, I don't know. If you paid attention... They took away that an awful lot. They did. If you paid attention yesterday to what Sheldon Whitehouse presented in the research that I'm sure his staff did, tying together all of the corporate money and the 80 court decisions that came down in favor of the corporations and the business interests, you could see exactly what I'm talking about. But business throughout the United States has lost its niche. It's lost ground. Uh, most of the uh, businesses have moved offshore, and they belong to other countries. They, they are dominated by other countries in Brexit and in China and the Far East. So we have to wait to make those kind of judgments about business in the United States. I think that one of the things that the president wants to do is reestablish business that got lost over offshore by past administrations and past uh, group leaders from corporations that were greedy and did not bend for the American people's interest. I'm not against business. I just don't want it running my government. Well, and I think I, the people in, in Lords at the Lordstown plant in Ohio, um, if you heard the conversation this morning with uh, uh, David Giffels, who uh, wrote a book called Barnstorming Ohio uh, to Understand America, is uh, the people of uh, Lordstown are pretty unhappy with the promises that the uh, president made about restoring jobs and getting plants opened in, in their experience. Right, and they brought well, in a foreign company to take it over, didn't they? What? Who was that? Didn't they bring in a foreign company, a foreign-owned company, to take over that plant? It seemed like it was. I don't recall the details. Well, and those are corporate rules. The government can't do that. The corporations can. But... <clears throat> um, you know, I governments, uh, corporations still need to support the government. That's the only way. And governments, uh, corporations, are the and businesses are the basis on which people rise in the economy. We need the support of government to support our businesses, to support corporations. That is a uh, an immutable arrangement that we can't get rid of. We must well, let's support go back those. To the idea. Of Let's go back to the idea of balance. Balance? That was the, yeah. Exactly. Yes, balance. It's the uh, balance. Who, who funds the campaigns anymore? anymore. Yeah. yeah. Who, who funds and the campaigns? And without this balance United. that you're talking about, without this balance that you were talking about, we can never reclaim our former positions in oil. We've got to have other people in our own nation to help bring us back to a point of reckoning. Well, we're not going to get to see the, the presidential candidates duke it out tomorrow night. The Commission on Presidential Debates on Friday canceled the second debate between Donald Trump and Joe Biden after the president declined to do a virtual dis, uh, debate despite concerns over his COVID-19 diagnosis, organizers said. And um, 
A Biden spokeswoman swiftly said that they would have agreed to a virtual uh, format for Thursday's contest, but because the president had seemingly bailed, they would book another format uh, for the former vice president to take questions. This was going to be a town hall-style debate. And they did just that when later in the day ABC News announced they would be hosting a town hall with the former vice president. Did the president hand former Vice President Biden a win by rejecting the virtual debate? I don't think Biden rejected it. He was willing to do it. But no, I, I, I think Biden's I, going to come out. No, I, I asked if the president having having an open forum like that. I asked if the president or I meant to ask, I'm not sure exactly what I said now, but did the president hand former VP Biden a win in oh, the process yeah, I think, of... I, I would say yes, I think uh, so. He gave him, he I, gave I, him I, power. Yeah, <clears throat> and he... Uh, I think that Biden gained some confidence and thrust from that uh, by the president backing off. But <clears throat> the president has not he can change his mind. He, you wouldn't want to see two people out there on a the platform sleepy and incoherent. And he We've done it which before. Way, which way the COVID was going to take them, you don't know. The, so the question is, Henry, who's, who's more incoherent? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you believe in COVID, if COVID does what we think it does to people, then obviously... The president made the right choice. Well, I, I know, I, that's that's such a great transition into this next piece. More Americans said Senator Kamala Harris did the best job in the vice presidential debate Wednesday night, according to a CNN instant poll of registered voters who watched. About six in ten said Harris won, while thirty-eight percent said Vice President Mike Pence had the better night. Um, the validity of polls aside, what did you think of the VP candidate performances in last Wednesday's debate? I think it was a much more, obviously a much more civil debate than the, than the first presidential one. Um, and uh, all things considered, I think I mean, as debates go, they don't always discuss, discuss issues in, a, in, a, in great depth, but I thought it was a relatively solid debate, all things considered. There is more substance to it. Oh, yeah, by a long shot compared yeah. to the first and, and, guys, to tell you the truth, I did not want to see a blowout by anybody. I wanted to see people represent the issues in a coherent way so that people right. can understand where they were. And I thought they did a good job. I think yeah. that Pence did his best job was when he responded to, to Kimmel Harris's thing on Black Lives Matter. And uh, what he said, you cannot have riots and killing of police and stuff like that in order to reestablish civility. And I kept society. waiting. I kept waiting for one of them to answer the question they were asked. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're right. They, they they both did a lot of dodging on on that. That's true. You know, yeah, I was you? impressed. I was impressed with the moderator of. Whatever interview or debate it was that took place in Iowa uh, with Joni Ernst, when the uh, moderator who was asking the question kept pressing her to answer the question he asked about whether she supported Donald Trump. That was that was an impressive mm -hmm. performance by the moderator. We don't see that in these presidential debates. 
not, we don't. Yeah. Not these. Just, not yeah. these days. No. So I. But I think, think it was unfair for Pence to have to fly giving him the answers. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. You know. Whatever <laughs> happened to being a fly on the wall? <laughs> oh, that's cute. Yeah, but, what, but I enjoyed the debate, to tell you the truth. Uh, they were substantive, and they were relevant, and they were pretty much even. Uh, <clears throat> the way the country is and the way people are divided one way or the other, we needed to see some substance in what was said, and hopefully it was done in a humane and and cultural manner, and I thought that this was closer to it. But the only thing, uh, Kamala, Kamala Harris, um, it was that smile that she had that was kind of uh, maybe a little bit disturbing. It was annoying. And she yeah. kept talking to the vice president, the moderator, and American viewers, for that matter, like they were children. Yeah. And and Karen Weaver used to do that, and I've commented on it before. I thought it was I thought it was um, just it was it was kind of annoying. Yeah, it was provoking. I, th- I thought yeah, Mike Pence was. was too low key, and I thought uh, Kamala. Well, you know, yes. um, many That's of my, my women, yeah, many of my black women friends commented that her expression was many of her expressions were ones that they saw their mothers give them many times when yeah, they were being yeah. I've seen that. Chastiser. that yeah, that's typical. That's typical. Yeah. yeah, and yeah. so that and that would make you uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> you that, don't know that's well, that's okay around the kitchen table, but this was a, a debate for <laughs> yeah. the vice presidency of the United States. <laughs> yeah, well, I thought she was talking to Mike Pence just like he was her son. You know, like I say, yeah. do you really Mama. believe that stuff you're saying? <laughs> That's true. But but then you know then then it turned around and she did the same thing too. And and the, the, that's the frustrating thing is when a moderator prepares a you know a, a broad uh, section of questions, and and then you get these people up there. They take two minutes when a question ends. To give you a piece of yeah. their stump speech. Yeah. Well, here's my perception. When when they practice for these debates, and I'm not in the room, I have no idea, but I suspect that what they come out with is a set of talking points and issues that they want to emphasize, and nothing about boning up on the issues and being a knowledgeable person about what may be brought up, but being um, ready and prepared to give the elevator speech or to give the you know the one paragraph response to whatever the subject is that they want to they want to stress it's no longer a debate it's not a debate at all it's not Kimoy and Matsu between Kennedy and Nixon yeah. it's yeah it's the, it's the not. transitions were almost comical you know you get a question uh, what do you think about the affordable care act well, that reminds me of foreign policy and then you go on to your foreign <laughs> policy talking points right. and it was That's just right. bizarre sometimes <laughs> That's right Canada has good health care <laughs> but yet, yeah, yet, guys, we got we got to we gotta break there, folks. True. We got to break there, but we'll be back okay. with uh, my my favorite part. The uh, in the final segment of Armchair Politics, it's the X Files. Plus, we have added bonus because we'll be uh, revisiting our Schlocktober pick of the day before the show ends. Stay tuned. Hey, <laughs> this is the unknown comic. 
And guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now. And now. And now, too. And even now. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. Take the following everyday steps to help avoid the spread of all respiratory viruses. Wash your hands often with soap and water for at least 20 seconds. Cover your cough or sneeze with a tissue. Throw the tissue away and then wash your hands. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects or surfaces, such as remote controls and doorknobs. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. And stay home if you are sick. Call your health care provider if you develop fever, cough, or difficulty breathing. For more tips, visit cdc.gov. They say singing can help you remember things, so here's some tips for parents out there during these tough times. Number one. Make sure your kids wash their hands for 20 seconds after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside. Two. Virtual play dates. Social and physical distancing can help save lives. Three. Tell them they're safe and show your love and pride. Yes, we'll get through this together. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the Briggs. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write us at TomSumnerProgram.com, call us, at 810-339-8255 or contact us on Facebook or Twitter. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner program where to go. Do you have feelings of inadequacy? Do you suffer from shyness? Do you sometimes wish you were more assertive? If you answered yes to any of these questions, ask your doctor or pharmacist about tequila. Tequila is the safe, natural way to feel better and more confident about yourself and your actions. Tequila can help ease you out of your shyness and let you tell the world that you're ready and willing to do just about anything. You'll notice the benefits of tequila almost immediately. And with a regimen of regular doses, you can overcome any obstacles that prevent you from living the life you want to live. Shyness and awkwardness will be a thing of the past, and you'll discover many talents you never knew you had. Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila may not be right for everyone. Women who are pregnant or nursing should not use tequila. However, women who wouldn't mind nursing or becoming pregnant are encouraged to try it. Side effects may include dizziness, nausea, vomiting, incarceration, erotic lustfulness, loss of motor control, loss of clothing, loss of money, loss of virginity, delusions of grandeur, table dancing, headache, dehydration, dry mouth, and a desire to sing karaoke and play all night rounds of strip poker, truth or dare, and naked twister. Warning, the consumption of alcohol may make you think you're whispering when you're not. It's a major factor in dancing like a retard. may cause you to tell your friends over and over again that you're in love with them. Also may cause you to think you can sing. Alcohol may lead you to believe that ex-lovers are really dying for you to telephone them at four in the morning. Alcohol may make you think you can logically converse with members of the opposite sex without spitting. It may create the illusion that you are tougher, smarter, faster, and better looking than most people. And it may lead you to think people are laughing with you. 
alcohol may cause pregnancy, and it also may be a major factor in getting your ass kicked. So what are you waiting for? Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila! I get the uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back to uh, the final segment of today's edition of Armchair Politics, featuring one of my favorite segments, The X-Files. Former Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid, a a Democrat from Nevada, said the U.S. government has been hiding key details about UFOs for years. Um, (laughs) Why the federal government all these years has covered up, put brake pads on everything, stopped it, I think it's very, very bad for our country. Reed said in in a uh, new documentary called The Phenomenon from director James Fox, the film examines the history of UFO sightings in the United States and abroad, including new details about the military-confirmed encounters off the coast involving U.S. Navy pilots. It also details a 1967 report in which an object appeared over a U.S. missile base at the same time 10 of the missiles became inoperative. Um, let's see, uh, if they'd called upon the president to launch, they couldn't have done it, Reed said in the film. Reed, who was among the lawmakers behind a classified but since closed U.S. government UFO program, has become increasingly outspoken about the phenomena since leaving office. However, he stopped short of confirming evidence of otherworldly activity writing in August on Twitter that he wants the issue studied and that we must stick to science, not fairy tales about little green men. He repeated that point of uh, view in the new film. Are little green men the next big thing for 2020? (laughs) (laughs) Might be. Only if it hasn't happened yet. Yeah, I don't want him interfering with our elections. Yeah. Yeah. We'll have we'll have an investigation next year on little green men little green men affecting our elections. Yeah, you might be, you might yeah. be too late. Well, yeah. here, I think I've got time to to get at least at least one more in. Um, okay, well it's official. Every time residents of Danbury, Connecticut flush, they will be sending their special deliveries to the John Oliver Memorial Sewer Plant. The city council voted 18 to 1 Thursday night to rename the sewage plant after the comedian who began a tongue-in-cheek battle with Danbury when he went on an expletive-filled rant against the city on HBO's Last Week Tonight with John Oliver in August. Mayor Mark Bowden didn't waste any time responding on social media. He posted a video of himself at the sewage plant saying the city was going to name it after Oliver. 
Why, the Republican mayor asked, because it's full of crap, just like you, John. (laughs) (laughs) That that drew a delighted response from Oliver, but he went off against the city again uh, because Bowton later said, that he was just joking. Oliver uh, upped the stakes on his August 30th show by offering to donate $55,000 to local charities if Danbury actually followed through with renaming the plant. Bowton said Friday that the feud has been a good distraction from the coronavirus and other troubles of the times. He also said Oliver's promised donations have helped spur local fundraising efforts for area food banks that could end up collecting a few hundred thousand dollars to feed needy families. The mayor added he will be offering tours of the, of the sewer plant for $500 donations to local food pantries. Oliver has offered to provide the new sign for the plant that includes his name as well as attend the ribbon cutting. Uh, A timeline has not been finalized. Representatives for Oliver and HBO had no comment Friday. Um, Is this an appropriate municipal response to someone in the media talking crap about you? I'm delighted that Oliver took it in stride and made it into something that really is funny. I couldn't see him getting offended by that because he throws things like that out all the time. No, he wasn't the least. But 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 I think it's but I think it's fun that the mayor and the city council picked up on it and had fun with it instead of just whining and complaining about you know him picking on the city in a in a monologue of some kind. Yeah, that's true. Well, we're, na- we're always naming stadiums after some business or some big corporation. I think it's fun to have a sewage plant named after a comedian. Especially a sewage plant. You know, the, the part that makes it poetry is the memorial part, the John Oliver Memorial Sewer <laughs> Plant. <laughs> that's right, that's right. <laughs> that's projecting into the future. <laughs> Anyway, that's one of my favorite stories in a while. But uh, that wraps it up for today's edition of Armchair Politics. Thanks, uh, thanks, gang. It's uh, it's always a pleasure, Bobby, to have you join the roundtable, Bobby Clayton Walton. Well, thank you. I really enjoyed it. And Boy, Bobby, you, you were outstanding. You were outstanding. I wanted to make one last comment about UFOs. I used to tell people that I thought UFOs were like functional families. I hear they exist, but I've never seen one. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> and, I was going to uh, say, I, I believe in UFOs when I see a first Martian beer can tossed out the window. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, anyway, to the roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, thanks, guys. You, you make this worth Thank doing you. every week. Always good to be yep. here. Thank you. All right, take care. Thank with, you so much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And with that, we put the spotlight on William Shatner in today's Schlocktober Pick of the Day. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, and you're celebrating Schlocktober with Tom Sumner.
picture yourself in a boat on a river with tangerine trees and marmalade skies. Somebody calls you. You answer quite slowly. A girl with kaleidoscope eyes. Cellophane flowers of yellow and green towering over your head. Look for the girl with the sun in her eyes. And she's gone! Rocking horse people eat marshmallow pies. Everyone smiles as you drift past the flowers that grow so incredibly high. Newspaper taxis appear on the shore, waiting to take you away. Climb in the back with your head in the clouds, and you're gone! On a train in a station, plasticine porters with looking glass ties. Suddenly, someone is there at the turnstile. A girl with kaleidoscope. Well, there's smoke and George Winters tickling the ivories. Let me know it's time to head on down the hall to the living room after uh, wrapping up today's edition of the Tom Sumner program. But we'll be back tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock. I want to say thanks to the roundtable uh, regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter from Armchair Politics, and to our uh, guests joining us this week, political operative Bobby Clayton Walton. Also want to say thanks to uh, journalist, essayist, and author David Giffels, author of Brainstorming Ohio. Good night, everybody. Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. And thanks for listening.